My name is Will Small, and I'm trying to become the man my kids need me to be. To my fellow men, I think we've all got some work to do. What if it's time to rebuild what we call manhood for the sake of ourselves and the generation growing up behind us? It's not always easy talking about the real stuff, but we can't afford not to. So let's get into it. This is the Mankind Podcast. In recent times, we've all been reminded how unpredictable life on planet Earth can be. But there are people in our local community who know this better than others. Like Gary Wardlaw, he's a firefighter, and he's spent over 25 years protecting our community and responding to high-intensity situations as they arise. He's been a part of responding to the bushfires and floods that we've seen on the news in you know, the last couple of years, but he's also been doing this for a lot longer. When we're not experiencing a crisis situation, it can be easy to forget about the incredible men and women who are the first responders in all kinds of confronting and at times devastating situations. But each of them has a story of their own. And listening to Gary in this episode is a really great way to be brought up close to someone who represents a window into our local emergency services. As someone who has obviously witnessed plenty of confronting and horrible situations up close, I'm amazed by how positive and grounded Gary is. Throughout our conversation, it becomes really clear that taking care of his health, physically, mentally, and emotionally, is a top priority. If there's anyone I would describe as a genuinely good bloke, it's Gary. And he's living proof that you can hit the gym hard and have an excavator in your backyard and still open up and get real about your feelings. We spoke about transitioning between the different demands of work and home. We spoke about mental health, about disaster resilience, and how to treat people with empathy in whatever situation they're facing. I, I started out at 19 in the what was then the Volunteer Bushfire Brigade. Mm-hmm. So 19, so that was in 1993. And then I managed to get a position as a paid part-time firefighter with the, the Urban Fire Brigade in 95 and a career firefighter in 97. So... Yeah, career firefighter for nearly 25 years. Yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, Mankind Podcast is really interested in conversations around what does it mean to be a healthy man in the modern world? And, you know, there's sort of an evolving conversation around that. So I'd love to hear from you, mm. both as a, as a dad, someone who works in the community, someone who's exposed to a lot of high-intensity situations. You know, um, our life is always unpredictable, but it's been yeah. demonstrated how unpredictable it is, you know, pretty severely in the yeah, last couple of years. Absolutely, yeah. So I'd love to chat to you about, yeah, just the what resilience looks like and what you've learned in your context and things like that. But let's start just, you can cast your mind back before Gary the firefighter with three kids. When you were growing up, yeah. what were some of the ideas of manhood that were sort of in the air for you? Look, I grew up just north of Dublin in Ireland and and a really a fantastic childhood, um, very typical of the place and generation in that, you know, dad went out to work, mum stayed home, mum did most of the household stuff and the kids' stuff, Monday to Friday working dad, uh, come home, give him a bit of space. You know, there wasn't that overly strong fatherly connection that, you know, certainly that the dad kind of that I tried to be today and, and the kind of common dads you see around mm. now didn't mean there was any less love. 
it was sure. just you know that kind of relationship it wasn't uh close in in physically close you know no cuddles and um gosh you know we didn't say i love yous and all that sort of stuff but fantastic childhood you know like really it's a wonderful set of parents they're very they live here now with us um you know i think we've all turned out pretty well so yeah good really good childhood yeah i think most of us don't really think about it it's the kind of question that you don't necessarily think about unless it's really asked and you pause for a moment but mm. when you were let's say 18 were there certain things that you felt like you had to fulfill or you had to live up to to become what what we'll call a a good man or something like that yeah look i i found i was a very um, hands-on physical kind of guy. Like I left, we left Ireland when I was 16, very difficult, 16 years old. The world is all about me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was, I was quite hostile, quite to the move, quite reluctant to, to try. Mm -hmm. um, so as those barriers kind of broke down and I started to meet some people, I just found myself drawn to, a, to the sort of guys who, you know, friends who, who were that physical, practical you know, what could be interpreted as quite manly stuff. I played footy, I played AFL, you know, I couldn't wait to get out of high school and just kind of get into it. Um, set myself, yeah. you know, up a, I was keen to be a tradie, all that stuff that you would have then thought is, is that typical manly machismo lifestyle. I smoked um, as soon as I was 18 and allowed, I got a tattoo, all that kind of stuff that you, you think is – is 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 pretty manly and and yeah, it's sort of an yeah. external. It, it it looks yeah. manly on the surface. I think there's there's deeper layers to to the story of Gary. So how's that idea of manhood evolved since you're a sixteen year old coming over here? Look, to, and I think you know, it, it it definitely has. You're, you're right. It 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 had to. It, it um, you know, I do have what I would consider quite a, a softer side. I mean, I'm jumping ahead a bit now, but now as a parent, I didn't didn't change anything based on anything I felt I didn't get. As a, as a child growing up in terms of, you know, love and affection and, you mm. know, a kind of family that I wanted and never had. So I, I didn't think I'm going to, wow, I'm going to learn from all those mistakes. Sure. I, I just, I think I was naturally that kind of person. There's no facades. What you see is what you get. I do like all that gym stuff and excavators and firefighting. I love all that sort of stuff and I really enjoy that. But at the same time, I would quite mm. happily you know, sit and cuddle my kids and read a book and, and, and show that softer side that, that as a man that's going to be a husband, father and just a master. For me anyway, it was, it was definitely mm. um, something that was always there but just came to the front as those um, things started to happen in my life, you know. Yeah, and, I, you know, I think it's really, it can be a good thing and a, and a healthy thing to hear somebody talk about having what would kind of be, I guess, considered a stereotypical childhood of another time maybe or, you know, the, the roles yep. that men and women played. But you're looking back on that um, with, a, with a great yep. sense of gratitude and not with a sense of judgmentalism. Sometimes mm. we do that. We sort of move forward. We look back at the past yeah. really in a, in a yep. judgy sort of way. But I hear that you've changed and, and you're a different individual in some ways than maybe being just a product of that time but you look back on it in a really healthy way. Yeah, celebrate a lot of all Definitely. And as I said, you know, that it certainly made me the person I am today. I had a wonderful set of parents and it's funny, but my sister and brother are very similar products. They're, they're very similar similar mm. people to me in that, in that regard. And it suggests to me, you know, just I don't know exactly what it was like growing up in your family, but I imagine that for you to have the capacity to be someone who's mm. well-rounded, and able to be, um, I guess, strong in that sort of physical sense, but also you've got real emotional depth. The external can look 
all kinds of ways, there's also this thing that, that goes a bit deeper that you can't really touch and whether or not that was there makes a big difference. So, you know, a big thing I wanted to talk to you about, particularly thinking about men, men who, like me, really I want to be um, good in my career, I want to do a great job, I want to make good work, yeah. I want to be a great dad, I want to be a present husband, I want to do all these things, but sometimes it feels like they're colliding and competing for my attention and mm. those domains of career and family, you know, can be things that we get a lot of value out of, but often can feel like you're never doing the right thing in the right place. You know, you sort of can yeah. be at work thinking about wishing you're home, you can be at home thinking That's about right. work and the transitions between the different spaces in our lives are important for any of us. Mm. But you're someone who through your career would have had to have learned what it means to transition some really contrasting spaces. Yeah, look, um, it was, it was interesting when I first joined the fire brigade, obviously I was a single guy, some degree of responsibility, but not a lot. And I think that was good because I was able to develop this ability and, and gosh, I know, you know, some psychologist type person might be listening to this and go, well, that's not good. But I learned to, to sort of compartmentalise some stuff in my life. So, you know, you had some people who had that tendency to maybe, like you said, bring some work home, you know, the frustration of work, of a working day home and, and start taking something out on the pets and the family and whatever and just be cranky and, and have that, you know, that transition, as you said. But I'm very fortunate in my career in that, you know, I, I do shift work, I get some good time off, a little bit of time to myself to reset while the kids are at school. And by the time they come home, I can't wait to see them. So I've had that ability to to reset from whatever has been thrown at me in my shift. And then, as I said, by, by the time I'm ready, I'm so ready to see my family mm. and, and, and have that family time. And I do, you know, I say Kaz, Kaz gets in pretty late and she works Monday to Friday. So I love, I'll do some dinners and have kids ready to go. I don't feel frustrated by that because I've had that time to, to reset. Mm. And I said, I'm not pushing anything aside. I've, um, I do like to do a little bit of um, like a, you know, skin cancer check but a mental health check mm. every now and then I'll touch base with a professional and I always feel after some brief co some conversations that I I'm in a great space I'm, mm. I'm I'm healthy I'm mentally healthy you know I said it's it's a there's a degree of compartmentalization there I want to protect my family I don't mm. want to certainly not going to discuss anything with the kids or Kaz that 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 you know isn't exactly dinner table conversation sure but I need to make sure that they know I'm okay as well and, mm. and and that I'm not not talking about something because, you know, I'm bottling something up. Have you had to learn that through maybe not doing it so well in the past or is that something that's been, you know, the habit that you set early or have you ever struggled with coming home from, you know, a highly distressing situation Yeah, um, and just going back into, I guess, normal home life? Has that ever been difficult? I'd say one of the biggest changes I've seen from personally for me, I used to go to incidents and I would not find out what would happen after that incident in terms of whether somebody was okay or whether unless it was in the paper the next day mm. or whether it was on the news that night. Whereas now I turn out to a job and literally my whole shift can be on Facebook by the time I'm, I'm, I've knocked off. Wow. And sometimes I've found out really nice information from some Facebook pages, you know, public pages, mm. and I've gone home and, and you know, Kaz might say, oh, were you at that? And I say, yeah, and it's, you know, so it's, it's kind of changed for me. It's, and that can be a good thing and a bad thing. It was nice sometimes to not know, mm -hmm. but when the, the the result is good, it's it's nice to know because I'd never, 
you'd never make an inquiry. You'd never sort of, you know, ring a hospital the next day and say, hey, just wondering how that guy is or how that, you know, yeah. you just kind of got on to the next job. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. I've never thought about that, mm. how that dynamic would have changed it. And I guess it's just interesting that you come in at a certain point in the story, you play a role, yeah. but you're not there necessarily no. for the resolution or That's for the right. follow-up or for all the things that may come after that situation. And one of the things I was thinking about, you know, just imagining what your world looks like as somebody working you know, in emergency services, see about how you would be exposed to a whole lot of situations where there are high emotions, where um, the average person would probably be in a, in a fight or flight mode. Mm, yeah. um, and yet you have to come in and be calm, rational, and, and kind of thinking, you know, relying on your training and, and not right. just in the heat of the moment. So how, how's that dynamic played out over the years and and how have you learned to be in touch with the emotion of the situation to some extent that is mm. helpful but also to to sort of act out of a different place it, it sounds a bit cliche you know when you say oh just you know i use my training and my training kicked in and all those sorts of comments but it's it's true you you rely on your experience to make rapid decisions mm. so you think you know i did oh, man man i had a fire like this three years ago and I kind of did this and it worked kind of well. So let's try something like that again, you know, cause it's, it's quite a dynamic situation and, and, you know, no one job is the same, but there are similarities. Mm. Um, so when you're making decisions like that, that are based on experience and skill and, and, and things you've done before, it leaves a little bit of room then to understand you still need to show some compassion if you're, if you're one-on-one. So I, I found lately, um, I've been, in a position at, at work now where I'm doing what's called higher duties, acting up as a station officer, and I've turned out to some fires and and as the first arriving station officer, it's my incident to run, to organise. So I don't get to go in, I just get to command the incident. And it was true, you know, you read this stuff in a book and you think, wow, I hope that's going to kick in. Mm. And, it's, and it does. It's, it was amazing to to see that this experience kicked in to make some rapid decisions based on getting uh, guys in hoses and air sets and in this door and, and hoses and set on this and confine this and cut this fire off from moving to this part of the house and at the same time be able to look at somebody and say it's going to be okay you know can you double check nobody's inside all everyone's out and it's you know and show some compassion and then quickly just say give me just give me a moment and go bang 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 make another quick decision and then come back to that you know like I was um in this position to get control of this but still be human and, mm. and, and realise that I'm dealing with people who are having the worst day of their life mm. um, and to be able to communicate with them in that, on that level. That's a huge skill. I mean, oh. I, like my exposure to that has been in moments, for example, where I've been in hospital when our first son was born. Yeah. We had a really rough first week and, and uh, it was pretty touch and go. Wow. And yeah. some of those medical professionals, you know, the amount of people they see come through in a critical condition that they would not necessarily remember. It's just that's part of their life. Yeah. And yet their ability and some people had it more than others. Sure, yeah. To be able to speak to you acknowledging that this is one of the worst days of your life, this incredibly hard thing, made a huge difference. But it's interesting because it sort of feels like if you're doing that a lot over time, it's almost like maybe there would be the possibility that you could become a bit more robotic and it could become just work and you could lose that yep. human side of it. Have you ever struggled with that or, do, you know, the sense of 
remaining in touch with the the empathy and the emotion of it in a good way? Look, it's it's as I said, the two very different roles. One of the things I've always liked about being a firefighter, we're kind of like the labourers of the first responders mm-hmm. in that we we we're a bit of a jack of all trades. We we. Uh, we do firefighting, obviously, but we do rescue work. We do abseiling rescue work. We do cats, cats, cats out of trees, absolutely. But in in those major sort of in those critical incidents, we we you know we we are dealing with those people in, on the worst, but you know worst day of their lives. But you know, hats off to the paramedics and the police who are constantly that one on one dealing mm. with dealing with people directly one on one. You know, if I'm um, work in a car accident, rescue work, hydraulic tools, you know, the jaws of life and all that sort of stuff. Um, the paramedics are the ones talking to the casualty, dealing with the casualty. I'm just there with some tools cutting the car open based on what the paramedics need me to do um, and then I might help them get that patient out onto their stretcher but they're the ones on that real personal mm. level with that casualty and and even the same in a, in a fire I've – Fortunately, in my career, I've been able to get some people out of some burning houses. Um, but same sort of thing. I, I do the dirty work, and then I'm, I'm handing them over to a, a very professional paramedic who has taken it from there and, and is doing that one-on-one treatment. That's that's a whole next level of skill, you know. Come across some car accidents on my way to and from work from time to time, or you know, somebody slipped or tripped in the in the street as you're, you know walking around and 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 even for you know and I, people who might have a first aid certificate it's even for myself it's that's confronting you know that that level of personal mm. um contact communication and and that relationship you develop with that stranger is for, it can be quite confronting yeah you know and even as a as a responder for that for this length of time i will take the the labor the work um sometimes over that 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 personal contact because there's no magic word. There's nothing you can you know you can say to, that's going to just make somebody. I mean, most everybody. I've never been to a job where nobody's not been happy to see me. I'll, I'll do my job and hopefully things are going to start to get better from when I arrive. But that's still they're still having a bad day and there's no magic yeah. word I can say that's going to take that away. You know, like I said very healthy person. But if there was something that I would remember from time to time, it wouldn't be anything graphic. Visually, it would be more the words and the the relationship and the feelings of the people around. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, yeah. That stuff's difficult. I think there's kind of a stereotype, there's probably some truth in it, that a lot of guys aren't great at being with negative emotions mm. or emotions in general. But we have a hard time saying, I'm doing it tough. You know, I'm feeling feeling really down or feeling really anxious. 75% of suicides yeah, in Australia huge. are yep. men. And, you know, I wonder if part of that's because there's just something about, about running away from or not being good at sitting with the negative of life uh, yeah. or, or not being honest about it or something. It's different, but you've spent a lot of time in pretty dark places, a lot of time actually being in the negative of life, mm. being able to do something but also having to sort of surrender a, a large amount of it. Do you think you've learned anything that could help, you know, men listening, you know, just how to actually be in those spaces? My time in the fire brigade has been, have seen that, has seen that transition from, you know, the suck it up and deal with it mentality 
Mm. Um, you know, go for a few beers, but we don't talk about it to the full blown. Um, it's it's okay to not be okay. Are you okay? The the you know I don't want to throw out the 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 cliches and stuff like that, but it's mm. it's unreal. You know, I can remember first time I was unfortunate to come across a fatality in a in a car accident. We went back and it was to the station, and after we knocked off, it was beers. You know, and I was. 19 at the time you know it's that's not now as we know a very productive way to help a 19 year old deal with yeah a situation like that what did that 19 year old version of you need to be able to process that in a healthy way at the time i i needed and got just the camaraderie and the the pats on the back and you'll be right type stuff because i didn't know any better yeah. You know, no one explained to me that uh, what I was feeling was normal. It was almost like, you know, well, it's about time. You've been here for a few months now. It's about time we got that out of the way. Mm. Um, we need to sort of see how you're going to behave or how you're going to react. So there's a sense of, oh, I better react the right way. That was just the guys I was working with at the time who were great guys who, who that's that's what it was for them. They didn't know another way. They didn't way. know another way. No one knew another way back then, you know. It was no, you know, post-traumatic stress has been, you know, talked about and discussed and researched for a very long time, but it hadn't filtered into our group or it just wasn't the done thing because they were older guys. I was the youngest on the crew. I can't tell you when the transition started to happen, but it was a, I mean, there were some barriers to overcome because we had a very multi-generational service. So we had a very broad mix of the old guys and new guys and, and, you know, there were clashes in that regard, but I, I, I lapped it up. Like when, when it came out that this was, you know, we needed to talk and seek help if there were, if there were issues, if there was recurring issues, if you were thinking about something, if you weren't sleep, all the, the, the signs that you might be feeling, um, communicate with your partners, families. I was living with parents at the time. So let them know that these are the sort of things, the close people close to you, this is what they should be looking for. If they notice these kind of changes in you, mm. let's say something. I, I loved it. You know, mm. I really, I was encouraged by it to to gather around and say, hey, is everybody all right? Anyone need to chat? We can, you know, and we'll do something as a group or or if you need some individual stuff, that's available. But it's it's great. I'm very fortunate to work for a service that provides that and encourages that. Not everybody does. You know, if you're a, a tradie who works on a building site, you might work for yourself or something like that. And And, you know, I see accidents on building sites where... The tradies have just been subject to a horrific incident. Yeah. So I will talk to them. You know, I'll go and say to those guys, like, hey, guys, you know, you've just experienced or witnessed mm. something that's, you know, you don't see every day. Mm. Look after yourselves. You know, like, please go for the sake of yourselves and your families. And I've done that to just witnesses of yeah. incidents. If I've got to spare a couple of minutes while I'm putting some gear away or doing something, if I notice that somebody's been hanging around and was maybe even involved initially, a lot of guys in particular will will just jump in and they and they get started on something and we turn up. Um, I'm very careful to not just shut that down because, like I said, with with me finding out incidents on Facebook, people like to get some kind of closure if they've assisted and helped. They don't just be pushed aside. Mm. You know, thanks for your help. Now it's no good. Now we don't need it. Go away. You know, so they need to. You need to share that that mindset that you know mm. you've just witnessed this. Your help is unreal. Like you, 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 you guys were the first responders. You know, I've, done, I've said that to people before, just witnesses. You guys were the first responders. Mm. Thanks heaps. It was great. Keep an eye on yourselves and let somebody know that you've 
kind of had this happen. You don't have to go into detail, but let them know. Yeah. And it's good. It's good to, you know, it's, as I said, I'm mm. very fortunate to work for an organisation where that is now the norm, but it's a, that's a good way of mm. spreading it out too. It's so good to hear about that transition. You know, I think that that's a really good picture of um, healthy modern manhood. Yeah. Somebody who's still into the excavator and yep. still hits the gym, but yep. is also very comfortable with saying, you know, it's okay not to be okay and yep. it's okay to be able to, talk things out and yeah. to be able to actually sit with that dark stuff and yep. learn to spot the signs, that's really healthy. That transition could have become that over time you actually became more out of touch with what's yes. going on inside. You become a bit more callous. You have the PTSD sitting there, but it's sort of underneath the surface, not getting dealt with, comes out in all sorts of other destructive ways. One of the things that made me think as well, sometimes the most helpful thing is just to say, hey, if you're not feeling all right, that's really normal. Yeah. Just validate oh, yeah. that. That's right. You don't have to. You don't have to push against it. You don't yep. have to beat yourself up for it. You don't have to hide it. And uh, so a lot of what I heard you saying there was just learning how to validate. Mm. You come out of a high-stress situation and we just need to be able to learn to acknowledge how we're feeling and yep. be okay yep. with it. And yeah. I'll just add to that, like I've loved that that part of me that can do that at an incident has, has I've transitioned that into my kids and my family. A lot of people will say, you know, they might have something happen in their lives and it might not be huge but it's huge to them. And they'll say, well, it could be worse because, mm. you know, hey, the neighbours have this thing going on and it's way worse. Well, I've always thought, you know, you know you're know, you entitled to to your problems and to be upset about your problems. You know, yeah. you're, you're, you're entitled to that. You don't have to dismiss your issue going on because someone's got it worse than you. I'll come home from something and, and from an, a shift and, and it could have been a horrible shift. You know, I'll come home and, and one of the kids is upset because they might have had an argument with a friend. That's still a big issue. That's their big issue they've got going on. I can't turn around and say, well, at least you didn't have this happen to you. Mm. You know, like that's not fair. So it's it's great in that, like you said, I can jump in and understand that people deal with their situations in their own personal ways and, and what might upset them doesn't upset me, might not upset you, but they're still upset over that. And it's been unreal to be able to show that little bit of empathy because you know, it's it's easy and, and my sister and, and her husband are both paramedics and we've talked over time how sometimes you can drop your level of compassion for your own family and kids mm. because of what you've had to do at work. So, you know, your young wow. little son might might fall and graze their knee and, and your first thing is, well, get up, mate. That's, you know, it's nothing. It's a scratch. He's upset. He's hurt his knee. He wants a cuddle. He wants a Band-Aid. You know, like it's, it's even if you have to fake it, you know, he's still, that's his little incident he's, and he's entitled to feel that way. People should be allowed to suffer. Yeah. You know, comparison is rarely helpful, exactly. whether it's Absolutely. about suffering or whether sure. it's about success. We yes. compare ourselves with others. We think, man, that person must be happier or they got more. Um, but to actually allow ourselves to own whatever it looks like in our position, yep. success, failure, whatever, I think that's so helpful. And I love hearing how that mm. – talked about compartmentalizing which can be a really helpful thing but now you're talking about integration where it's actually yeah. like who i'm becoming over there the best of that i'm bringing over here and and i'd love to just sit you know for a moment longer in, in the idea of yeah what it looks like parenting you know you mentioned at the beginning that the way that you raise your kids has probably um yeah, it's probably changed you like it does mm. for any of us but now as your kids are becoming teenagers and and growing a bit older we think about this idea of manhood, womanhood, just health in yeah. general. Yeah. Um, how do you think about, you know, what you want to pass on to your kids in terms of 
what it means to be a man or woman in the world today and into the future? I think first and foremost, I think, man, I can't tell you where I got this information. I definitely got it from someone. But I love my wife so much and I treat her the way, you know, every wife should be treated, I think. You know, like I, I, I just adore her. And I love the fact that I display that to my, to my two daughters. And the message for them is find someone who treats you maybe even better than the way I treat mum, but nothing less. And the message I'm sending to my son is this is how you should treat mm. your partner in life when you get to this stage. My son is a good one. He's, he's 14 years old and he's uh, already planning his military career. So he's, he's in Army Cadets at the moment and he's already looking at Australian Defence Force Academy, Duntroon, officer training, all that sort of stuff. But there was a, a tragic incident at his high school, uh, a young teenager committed suicide. And I needed to check in, obviously, that he was okay. He didn't, didn't know the child and we didn't, he, he didn't know details, we didn't know details. Um, but obviously, as a parent, we needed to check in that he's, he's okay because that's now on his radar. Mm. And it was interesting to be able to channel a little bit of, like we talked before, the mental health awareness. And I love that I was able to say to him, you know, what's on offer to me in the fire brigade? The fire brigade have invested so much in ensuring that I maintain mental health and the army will want you to do it too. If you pursue a military career, I said, the army will want you to talk. They'll want you to communicate. And I said, and that's something that would be unreal for you to practice that now and get used to talking about this sort of stuff. And so we had a great conversation about that, about getting my son to talk, to, to open up, hopefully to me, but to someone. It was a great conversation. And it was, it was, it was, you know, it was a horrible situation. You know, I had to, we had to, to get in, but to be able to discuss that with him, that, that, um, throughout his career, he will, you know, it's 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 a big factor of these resp- these services. You know, it's a big factor in life. But I'm talking yeah. to him on his level yeah. of where he's at. You know that that's his his employer. If it is ends up being the Australian Army, will want him talking because yeah. they'll invest in him and they'll want him to be the best officer or whatever he can be. And to do that, we now know that when faced with these harrowing circumstances, that we don't bottle up. We mm. we we talk. You know, and I only hope it's it's sunk in and that that's what he will do. But, you know, you don't just drop the message. You don't just say it once and walk away. You know, that's, that's, yeah. I'll practice that. And he's seen me practice it. He knows, like I, um, they were all young children, but I've, um, I've left home a few times to go be deployed. <laughs> that sounds terrible. Left home. I've gone away for periods of time where I've deployed to disasters around both Australia and internationally. And and he's home. He's they're, they're all home. You know, Karen and the and the kids are all home. Um, I'm trying to communicate, touch base when I can. So he knows that I'm off doing that sort of stuff, and he knows that I pursue what I need to pursue for my own mental health when I get back. And I yeah. keep and I'm open about that. I don't discuss what I've done. I don't want to give them probably, you know pictures in their heads they don't need, obviously. But but he knows that I actively pursue. My daughters do too. Like we, we, you know, I'm talking about him just primarily because he's he's going into the defence forces. But but my kids know, Kaz knows, that I go out of my way to ensure um, mm. that I'm I'm as healthy as I can for both myself and for them. I love it. I love the connection as well of seeing, you know, the thing in his life that 
yeah, you can connect it with a motivation of get good at this for a career reason. But yep. he obviously just wanted to get good at it because we should all take care Absolutely. of our mental health. That's right. And um, I'd love to hear, you know, for you, obviously it's a very clear priority. Mm. What does it actually look like for you in a day-to-day way, week-to-week, you know, sort of way? What are things you do to keep mentally fit and healthy? Again, with my shift work, very, very fortunate to have, you know, some some time off during the day, during the weeks. And for me, my, you know, just kind of way to let loose is to just hit the gym. It sounds, and again, it goes back to that real, I guess, manly sort of thing, but I, I, I've i got a, a really core group of good friends I train with. Um, I've got a, a friend who's another firefighter, um, a sister and her husband, both paramedics, um, friend who's a nurse, and we're just this uh, a core little group of, of got people that hit the gym and we hit a, had a coffee afterwards and a catch-up. Mm. And, you know, sometimes we walk out of the coffee shop going, oh, my goodness, if people were listening to that conversation, they think we're mad or we're just psycho weird people because some of the stuff we discuss is, I don't know what they call it, a bit of black humour, a bit of, you know, sure. a sense of not not bad language but just, you know, is, yeah, it's a coping is a coping mechanism. I was just about to say, yeah. coping mechanism. Exactly. And to do it around like-minded people where I'm not going to project anything into their head that they don't already, haven't already seen themselves in some other form. It's great. It's it's a great little group we have. It's it's you know as I said we'll will big gym sesh, coffee sesh. If if one of us walks in, if I've had a shift and I've had a, a job, you know we don't discuss details. We'll but we'll just have a conversation. Someone will make some crazy silly joke and there'll be laughs. And it's not about there's no masking. We're just letting out. It's letting mm. letting it all go. It's it's unreal. I mean I love that. That's. It's exercise, yep. it's community, yep. it's it's talking. That's such a healthy rhythm and practice in so many ways. It's lovely. And at the same time, you know, if I've had a, a tough night, Kaz is a school principal, um, lots of stuff happening there. So we're very good at at, like at, at, at being able to, to bounce stuff off each other and, and, and things like that. But I, I certainly don't want to... I, can't, I, I wouldn't discuss with Kaz the, on the level that I would with these guys because they've they've seen it. They, they, they experience it. Um, so it's nice to be able to do both. I certainly want Kaz to know where I'm at, but to be able to go into a little bit more detail uh, mm. with the gym crew, yeah, it, it, it feels good. It's great. Just thinking both, you know, as, as a firefighter as well as as a parent, thinking about the unpredictable times we've been through, you know, bushfires, floods, COVID, yeah. Everything. Yeah. Every every single day something Crazy. else happens. You know, I think a lot about our young people, mm. our future, yeah. men and women, yep. growing up through these times. What do you think are the things that they most need to either hear or that they most need from us? Can I say, I'll just start with a little story. So as I mentioned earlier, I was um, up at Port Macquarie, those catastrophic floods mm. just um, a month and a half ago or so. And so the role I was playing at the time was I was going into parts of the community where nobody had been able to go yet. So so no emergency responders, you know, they were isolated and cut off. So so the job I was performing, you know, I was given a backpack with some food, a communication tablet, and given a four-wheel drive to move in as far as I could and then, you know, a lot of walking. And I just basically was touching base in in at these people in some areas the the the, the waters were hadn't even receded yet mm-hmm. some houses it's it's kind of a bit like bushfires in that some houses are completely left absolutely fine and then houses that might just be on a lower dip in the road have just been been just destroyed by these flood waters 
And one of the things that really stood out to me was seeing all the young people, like they were just forming chain gangs and they were just going door to door, helping a lot of elderly people just to take out their debris and their rubbish. And they were literally, they were filthy in mud. And I remember thinking, you know, we talk a lot about that Aussie spirit that, and, 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 you know, we all just get in and we help our mates. And I said, well, it is alive and well in that younger generation. You know, like it was unreal. I'm getting a bit emotional now thinking of it again. You know, we, we, we could be the first as, as the older generation, our community say, you know, they're just on their game consoles and they're just on their phones and they're just, well, when the chips were down, mm. they were out there working their butts off. You know, like they, wow. it was unreal. In an area that was just devastated, it was just a positive little beacon. It was, it was unreal. And maybe it's, you know, flips my question a bit to actually what do we have to learn from our young yeah, people yeah, and the way that they yeah. are going through these unpredictable times. It's got something to teach the rest of us as well. But it's a bit like you were sharing with your son. It's that, you know, we want to take the opportunities where they come up yep. to teach our young people you're, you're responsible for looking after your mental health. It's not a passive thing. It's not something that somebody else can do for you. Yep. And so it's kind of how can we teach you, you know, to do that first so that you can be of most help to others as well. Yeah. You, you know, I discussed earlier about how I'd say, you know, an accident or on, on a work site or a car accident where people have jumped in to help and we've kind of, hey, tapped them on the shoulder and say, you know, make sure you guys look after you guys. In those big disaster type situations, that's much harder to do, you know, especially because, you know, there's so many people, there's so much happening. Um, and particularly when I was there, we were unable to get resources in to start helping them. So when I went back to Port Macquarie the second time, I was now doing the back end of it, which was the going back and confirming that people had received the level of support and help they needed from a from an emergency service point of view, not from, I'm not talking about council support or, you know, that sure. sort of stuff, but I'm talking about making, just making their area safe so yep. that they can start that stuff. And it was satisfying to go back to be able to then say that, to communicate that to people and and it, and to be able to say to, to, to parents, you know, how are the kids, how are the, you know, how are they doing? Because um, the first time around you just don't have that time to do it. So it was my first time to actually go in and do both and it was nice to go back and be able to say to people, hey, I was here last week, how are you going, how are you, you know, where are you up to? Um, I had a difficult conversation with a farmer. The COVID stuff had, had knocked him and then the floods finished him off. Mm. That was a difficult, difficult conversation. And to turn around to somebody like that and say, hey, man, there's services out there. And I said, I am not a trained counsellor, a psychologist, anything like that, but just somebody who has dealt with just harrowing incidents and, and been basically just a hand-on-the-shoulder kind of guy and to let somebody know there's someone here but to talk to that guy like you know it was just what do you say do you know what I mean and all I could think about was like he mentioned that he'd sent his wife and kids off because they couldn't live in the house sort of thing so I just started talking about them and I'm not saying you know that that was the solution to his problem you know there's still stuff going on but he his his mannerisms and his tone changed and he, he you know it was just you know I don't know but well it's connection it I mean, was I think it, that's all, it, all of know? this right like so much of it I think comes down to the, the, those human aspects of the role that you're yeah. talking about yeah but also how we support each other 
through through crisis situations, what's happening when you're in the cafe with your gym crew. Yeah, yeah. All of that connection. That's it. And it can happen in really small ways. You know, we can we can just ask somebody a question. We can sit down and have a long talk with somebody, but you yeah. need that connection to, to make it through. That's it. And I remember reading a really interesting short story written by a gentleman who attempted suicide by jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge. There's, there's a group of, I think it's 21, 22, something like that, who have survived that jump. And, you know, as soon as he kind of let go of the rail, instantly changed his mind, instantaneously didn't want to do it. Part of that story that really stood out to me was he, he decided that if one person came up to him on that bridge and, and just connected with him, like smiled or said, spoke to him, he wasn't going to do it. And it didn't happen. In fact, I think, if I remember rightly, and it could be, somebody actually went up to him but handed him a camera and asked them to take a picture and then moved on. You know, and he, he you know, I got the impression he put himself in a position like it was kind of going to happen. But he was waiting on a connection, he said, and it never happened, mm. it never came. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and you know, <laughs> what I'm saying there, I guess, is, yeah, man, you never know if it's just a hand on someone's shoulder. But you're not going to have a magic word that's just going to fix it. But man, you know, just any word can can just delay it or change something. That's all it needs, you know. Well, Gary, it's been awesome hearing some of your stories and I really appreciate you sharing your thoughts, your perspectives. And there's clearly some things that you have learned over a number of years, you know, the importance of taking care of your mental health. And yeah, there's some strong stuff there that's been a good reminder for me and I'm sure will be for many others. Before we wrap it up, I'd love yep. to just ask you a few kind of rapid fire, sure. just little quick questions. First one would be, is there any essential part of your daily routine that without that you would be less <laughs> less healthy or less good to others? What little thing that you do every day? Yeah, definitely. It's it's for me, my, my routine of the gym. The yep. gym, the coffee, the catch-ups, uh, four times a week, my shifts all change, so I got to factor that in. But yeah, I don't do anything else. I don't, you know, I'll, I'll I don't have any vices or anything like that. But that's my that's my thing. Love it. All right. If you could go back and sit next to your eighteen year old self, and just give him a sentence or two, with all that you know now, what would it be? I would actually say it's going to be all right. It's going to be it's going to be good. You make some good decisions and you make some crap decisions, but they're your decisions. Uh, but it's going to be okay. I love it. All right, let's say your 80-year-old self. <laughs> your 80-year-old self comes and sits next to you. Yeah, wow. What, okay. would, what would you want to hear from him? For me, the fire brigade has been such a massive part of my life. You know, sometimes people in, in certain jobs, that's how, you know, I identified Gary the fireman or, you know, that sort of stuff. And a lot of my friends have gone out from retirement and it's tough. And I just wonder what that's like, you know, what does it, what's that going to be like when you lose that part of your identity or something that's been such a major part of your life? I guess I'd ask my 80-year-old you know, like I said to my 18-year-old self, it's going to be okay. I'd ask my 80-year-old self, was it okay? Mm. You know, that kind of thing. Like it's, yeah. I guess it's just that anticipation about the future. Yeah. You know, what does it hold? We don't know. Yeah. Maybe he'd say the same thing. Maybe he'd say it's going to be okay. It's going to be yeah. good. Yeah, true. You know? Yeah. In terms of some of the themes we talked about, any books or podcasts or kind of resources that have been really helpful for you that you would just recommend? I'm not a massive podcaster, so when I actually jumped onto Mankind, it was one of the first ones um, and I loved it, absolutely loved it. Um, 
not a massive, massive reader. I like a vast array of music. Oh, give us a give us uh, a music recommendation. So, look, if I could, I would say the last um, when music came back open again, when when they opened back up, I did. I went to uh, a live music in the Civic Theatre, a Metallica tribute band. Nice, and they were unreal. I brought both the kids. And they both scored a pick off the guitarist each. Sweet. Uh, we had front row and uh, and it was a good night. It was yeah, awesome. awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. All right. If if people were going to describe you as a man, what's the one characteristic you would really want to be known for? Wow. I think uh, compassion, compassionate. I see that. All right. I want you to just finish these two sentences for me. Just whatever comes to your mind. First one is I am. I like to think a good human. And we are so much more resilient and stronger and able to break through barriers than we think we are as a community. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks so much, Gary. Thanks, Will. Cheers, mate. This podcast has been proudly brought to you by the Central Coast Council and produced by Lead by Story. Music is by Josh Corkill with editing and mixing from Rowan Parry. I'm your host, Will Small. If you got value out of this conversation, then give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with someone you think would benefit from it. We get to decide what it means to be a man in the places we find ourselves. So let's make it kind, compassionate and strong. Catch you next time on Mankind.